Welcome to the weekend. This is the weekend break on 1521 2QN. Hello friends, happy days are here again. This is the Weekend Break podcast here for 1521 2QN. My name is AJ, catching you up on all the things that we discussed during our show during the week. Today we speak to the Edward River Council about plans from the Murrumbidgee Local Health District to look into our health services. We also speak to Ashley Byrne from the Yachuka Football and Netball Club about their freeze MND event that was held on Saturday and so much more here on the Weekend Weekend Break Podcast. We'll get straight underway with our chat with the Edward River Council about the upcoming clinical services plan. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Joining us on the program this morning is our General Manager, Phil Stone, and Back from a decent absence with the program is our Mayor Peter Betts. How are we going today, guys? Very well, thanks, AJ. Nice to be back. Have you missed me? I have missed you. I think we've all missed you, Peter. Oh, thank you. Well, can I just say, I've been up to good things. My absence hasn't meant that I've been up to naughty things. I've been good. I've been good. That's what we like to hear. Come back from Sydney bearing gifts, our Mayor did. We'll touch on those gifts in a second. We'll just start off with... Clinical services plan, which is something that the Murrumbidgee Local Health District are talking about and something that's going to be really important for our community going forward, Phil. Yeah, the, the um, Murrumbidgee Local Health District announced uh, that it was kicking off its clinical services plan um, for the Deniliquin, I think they call it a cluster, which is so it's the Deniliquin Centred Health Services um, and uh, something that this council has long lobbied for. Um, and, you know, even the last council was saying it in, in their advocacy strategy. Let's get the facts on the table around, um, around health services. What do, what do we have now? What do we need now? And what do we need into the future? And so that's um, the, the uh, Murrumbidgee Local Health District has been uh, very um, cooperative and collaborative with, with us to, to try and bring that up into fruition. And probably the mayor wants to say some thanks to some ministers who made this a reality. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we've uh, we've worked hard, and I really do want to send a huge thank you out there to Minister Ronnie Taylor and also to Jill Ludford. We're working hard to work with them, and they're really keen to work with us. And this is for the better good of the community. So thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of Edward River Community. What's this clinical services plan? going to look like that's going to be partially talking to the community now and getting their opinion on what they want to say as well yeah that's right uh, aj the the um it, what's going to be most important is this and and the murrumbidgee local health district have said that they're going to um action this and that is to engage really heavily with the community about what they want to see and what they don't. I mean, this. I think this is somewhat of a black art where people uh, write these reports around clinical services. There's all sorts of acronyms and so forth. But um, we call on the uh, members of the community, as many as have an opinion around health, to come and meet with uh, a series of, of workshops and surveys and so forth that will be happening over the next couple of months. Um, to uh, really state what they what they need, what some of their frustrations are in the in the um, around health services, and it could be anything from the hospital itself and the services it provides to to uh, doctors, um, ambulatory care, any of those allied health kind of services that are all part of the the, the water picture for health. It's going to be really important, and and we're going to be helping the MLHD to consult really heavily with the community. Peter, how essential is it going to be for our community that they do take that opportunity to tell us what they think is going to be important for the plan going forward? It's absolutely critical. It's it's so vital because it's 
It is the community that needs these services. So we need the community to come forward and say, this is what we need. And, and this is the opportunity to move it forward and move it into the future. So, and we want to capture as many as we can in, in health services across all ranges from, you know, mental health to all sorts of things. So, and, and we need to know, and the community is the ones that are going to tell us. Phil, we're currently talking about the importance of the community services plan that Murrumbidgee Local Health District is launching and getting involved in this process. There's been a lot of debate in the community around um, uh, we need a new hospital. Uh, I don't think there's any question that in the future we do need a new hospital. That's my, my private opinion. The questions are going to be how big is it? Where is it going to be? What sort of services are going to be delivered out of it? And um, that's the sort of th- the sort of questions that will be answered by this clinical services plan. So, if if it's going to be bigger than what it currently is, um, can it fit on the current site? Um, and those sorts of things uh, all need to be answered by what services are going to be delivered out of the hospital. So that's, I think, a key answer, a key question that needs to be answered in this clinical services plan. It's pretty exciting to be able to get these um, these answers. We've been having a lot of discussions with this community recently around. Um, Things like our future planning, our population growth and all those conversations, they all tie together, don't they? You mentioned there about potentially having a new hospital. Well, that also ties into how we view the community in the future. Are we going to expand our size? Does that mean we are going to require a bigger facility? It may may well do, um, AJ, the, particularly in a growing community. If we do grow our population by a few thousand more um, you know, over the next 20 years, maybe it's even 5,000. Um, does that mean that um, our hospital in the future will need to be bigger and our health service, we need more medical centres, we need um, uh, more ambulances, all those sorts of things. So um, definitely that's what this clinical services plan will do. And the council have anticipated um, having this, this sort of work go on and have agreed to kick off a growth management strategy which will then determine the where. Where will these services be delivered from? So um, the, the clinical services plan is the what, what do we need in the future? And then um, the growth management strategy will say, where is it going to be in the town? Now, we'll turn to our attention to our mayor for a little while. You're looking relaxed, but I don't think that's quite the case because you've been pretty hard at work of late for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, I've been all over the countryside doing all sorts of things. But as I said earlier, they're all they're all good things. So, And I mean... You know, clinical services plans, they're exciting. Um, bringing back $50,000 gifts from the Deputy Premier from Sydney is exciting. So they're all, they're all community-based things, all for the welfare and the better good of our community. So very good. How have the last couple of months just been from a community perspective as we're getting into winter, we're seeing more events coming to town recently? It feels like it's been a really good period for the region. I think it definitely has, and I think with getting on the other end of COVID, you know, at some point we've got to stop blaming COVID for everything, and everybody's really keen to get out and move forward. And I think if I can use the opportunity to to thank my fellow councillors, like, you know, they of all people have come in off the back of some really hard things. You know, we're behind the eight ball with the elections, the death of Norm, the death of Peter Connell, you know, we've brought Shannon on board this week. And, like, we got, you know, nine councillors that don't necessarily know each other, haven't worked together before, and are really pulling together some fantastic things. And these are the results. You know, $50,000, clinical services plans, all sorts of things going on in the community. And and I think, and I want to thank my fellow councillors. 
as is the whole of the team ERC, because without our staff, we don't have a lot of this stuff as well. So I just wanted to take that opportunity to thank them. They're doing a great job. Well done. And we want to thank you both for joining us this morning. Thanks, Thanks, AJ. Nice to see you again. (laughs) This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Joining us from the Danilican Golf Club, Vincent Urin, this week, and in for a little bit of time while Gary Baker's away. So thank you for joining us for the weekend break. No worries at all, AJ. Uh, happy to be here. So tell us about what's been happening on the course this week. Uh, well, we had Thursday ladies play their monthly medal, uh, and the winner of the medal was Karen Leatham with 66 net. She took out the A-grade event also with runner-up Marg Menadju, 73 net. In B-grade, Carol Maher, Took out the prize with 74 net, and the runner-up there was Jan Hussey with 75. You netted 79 net or better to get a ball, and the nearest the pins went to Jan Hussey on the fifth, Jen Choice on the ninth, Golden Hole was won by Vicky Brunker, and Pauline Davis took out the putting. Tell us about the men's results from the weekend as well. Yeah, the men played a monthly medal uh, in conjunction with the medley stroke event on Saturday, and the A-grade... Uh, winner and also the medal winner also was Lockie Campbell with 70 net, best score of the day. And runner up there was Matt Thomas with 73 net, uh, which was two under par off the stick, playing off his plus three handicap. Really great round of golf from, from Matt again. B grade, Ron Friend, 72 net was the winner. And runner up was Ali Ferguson with 73. C grade was Ian Campbell with 73 net and runner up John Irwin on 74. And you needed 77 net or better to get a ball. Nearest the pins were on the second, myself and Felicity McCowan. On the fifth, Graham Willoughby, who also took out the golden hole, uh, and Brian Dixon. On the ninth, Rob Armitage. And on the 11th, Matt Thomas and Alan Lord. And on the 13th, Jeff Corboy. And just a funny story from Saturday, AJ. Peter Thompson was seen swimming on the seventh dam looking for his car keys after the round. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I've seen a few people give up on a ball, but it's slightly difficult to give up on the car keys, isn't it? Yeah, lost his buggy, rolled down the hill in the water, didn't realise to after the round, had to get his wife to bring a towel down so he could dry off. I'm not sure it would have been real warm on no, Saturday. No, I don't imagine. I also give you kudos for being far more humble about winning something than Gary is when he, <laughs> when he reads himself out on the results as well. Have I told you about my hole-in-one? <laughs> I'm always happy to hear a story about an ice. Oh, it was a few, few weeks ago, so I'll leave it there. All right. Um, this weekend is a huge weekend for the club. The Winter Classic's coming up, and then on Monday we've also got the MND fundraiser. So, huge weekend for the Denny Golf Club this week. Yeah, Winter Classic's always really popular, um, and there's still some spaces available if people want to get late entry in for both Saturday and Sunday. And also on Monday, there's a few spots left. People need to be quick, but um, you know, really important cause, big freeze. Um, raising money for MND. Uh, can't can't speak highly enough of the need to raise money for these types of charities. Simple as calling, uh, giving her a phone call into the club to put your name down in it interest to those events? Ring the, yep, ring the golf shop uh, and they'll help you out. Also coming up, we've got the Ladies Denny Open, which is sponsored by IGA on Friday the 17th of June. And the men will play a singles knockout qualifying on Saturday the 18th of June. Uh, a couple of other things, AJ, that uh, I've been asked to just mention. We're looking for pennant players, which starts in July. 
and the Premier League is not too far away, so start thinking about your teams. And as always, we've got Friday night meals and raffles on. Beautiful, Vincent. Thanks so much for coming in and having a chat. No worries at all. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Joining us on the line is the president of the Echuca Football Club, Ashley Byrne. Ash, how are we doing today, mate? Yeah, good, AJ. Thanks. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Today is a very special day for your footy club. You've got the big clash coming up with Marupna, clashes across both football and netball. But as is custom this weekend, football turns its eyes to something far bigger than that with the big phrase for MND. And the Echuca Football and Netball Club is getting involved in that with MND socks and MND beanies and being a point where people can donate to this incredible cause today. Correct. Spot on. We were going to do it last year, AJ, with Marupna. Um, long weekend in June, but unfortunately COVID shut us down last year. So we were uh, all set to go with the Marupna guys, and the Marupna guys have agreed to be involved again this year. They're really keen to support what is an amazing uh, amazing uh, group, uh, organisation, sorry. Lost my train of thought, AJ. Um, so, yeah, both clubs are really keen to uh, to make it a really significant day and, and raise some really good funds for Fight MND. Over the last couple of, well, over the last 10 years, I think we're at Big Freeze 8, the work of Neil Danaher being a legend of football has made this weekend such a big thing on our footballing calendar. What does it mean to your club to be able to use the power of football within our community to be a part of this, this move for change and this move to support people going through this horrible battle with the beast? Yeah. Uh... It's significant, obviously. I don't think there's anybody in society who hasn't been touched by Fight MND in some way, shape or form. A uh, month ago, a month or six weeks ago, we, we lost one of our own, um, John Drakentos, who's a, a long-time club supporter and committee man, member, um, great person to Fight MND. So that just strengthens our cause around our club is, uh, to, that we want to be involved and we want to do what we can to help such a great cause. And yeah, what Neil's done for Fighting Mandy is absolutely awesome. And um, there's so many other people who have got on and, and worked tirelessly, really, uh, across the board to make it a, a huge, huge day in, date in the calendar, as you said, AJ. So it's um, for us to be a part of that, you know, we, we want to play our role within our community to, to help everybody else within it. Tell us what today's going to look like from a football and netball club perspective. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have, well, from a footy and netball perspective, all of our players, all the Echuca players will be in soccer, MND socks, uh, and so will Marupna's A-grade and, and senior footy teams. Oh, ideally, almost everybody at the game on Saturday will be in their beanies, fighting MND beanies, so that we can uh, show our community and beyond uh, how significant an event it is, not only at the MCG, but uh, everywhere across Australia. There'll be opportunities, obviously, for people who are at Vic Park today to make donations, to buy beanies, to find their way that they can contribute to this cause as well. Certainly, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have beanies on sale. We'll we'll have the the money tins floating around Vic Park throughout the course of the day, the gate raffle um, that that the club hold. All proceeds for the gate raffle this week will be donated to Fight MND. So, yeah, it's it's significant and... um, Within our community, we've had 2,500 beanies 
uh, within lots of businesses that are selling it and all of that money and the money that we take on Saturday from the raffle and from the money tins and from Bernie sales will we'll go straight back to fight MND. So as a community club, um, hopefully we're looking to, to raise about 70 grand for fight MND with the help of the Marupna guys and everybody within our community. It's obviously an important opportunity to raise some money, but also we have football games and we have netball games to be played today. The club's sitting in really good positions in both the senior football and A-grade netball, and down through all the grades, the club seems to be flying at the moment. Must be a pretty good feeling around Echuca at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody's pretty happy with the way things are going, AJ, but it's a work in progress. Uh, there's some lots of good netball teams, there's lots of good footy teams out and about. So uh, now our guys are training hard, working hard together to try and, and be the best that they can be. Ashburn, thank you very much for joining us. Good on you, AJ. Thanks, mate. This is the weekend break on 1521 2QN. Earlier this week, we spoke to Jason Fritch, who is the CEO of Echuca-based Kagomi, as part of Country Today. We're talking about the increase in gas prices across the country and the impact it's having on our food manufacturing services. We use a considerable amount of gas in our facility, and we use that to create heat and, and in turn to create steam. And we need steam. We need to generate a significant amount of steam to evaporate the water from from the products that we make. So when we process tomatoes, um, and we process 200,000 tonnes of tomatoes and 30,000 tonnes of carrots and 10,000 tonnes of apple, and we take that product and we concentrate them. So we actually concentrate um, a single bricks tomato, which is about five bricks, into about typically about a 30 bricks product. And then manufacturers across Australia take that tomato paste or if it's a diced tomato, and they put that into their tomato sauces or their Legos tomato paste or other things, you know, um, pasta sauces, all that sort of thing. We fortunately um, entered into a contract for gas supply for 2023 uh, in the first week of January of this year. Um, We did it reluctantly, but we were concerned where the market was going. And to put that in perspective, uh, the amount we'll spend on gas this year will be around $3.4 million. Next year, with the contract we ended into, will be around $4.4 million, so about a million dollars up, um, which, as you can understand, is, is concerning, 25% increase, effectively. <laughs> the, issue, the issue is if we had waited until now to enter into a contract in 23, we would be $8 million up. So that's where we, we entered into a contract at $10 a gigajoule, roughly. And the current market or price for uh, for 23 now is about 20, uh, 24 to $27 a gig, if you can get it. And, of course, my immediate concern is what does that mean for our business in 24, but also what does it mean for all the processors and manufacturers in in you know, in the eastern states of Australia, I mean, many of these businesses do not have coverage for 23 yet, and some of them don't have coverage for the second half of this year, and it's just an absolute disaster if that if you're in that position, and something needs to be done urgently. An increase of a million dollars on those gas prices, obviously, that's a considerable amount into your overall takeaway from the year. How how much does such a significant increase in 
impact to your bottom line for a company like Kagomi? Oh, it's significant. I mean, you know, we're not a we're not a, a, a double digit profit company by any means. I mean, the food sector is notoriously difficult to operate in. I mean, consumers want cheap, high quality food on the supermarket shelf, and so there's lots of pressure in our industries to remain. Um, very competitively priced, and to keep costs out of our system. That's what we strive to do all the time. So it's a, it's a very tough market to operate in. A uh, million dollars up is, is very difficult. Now, there's only two outcomes. The first is we try and pass that on, and, of course, that's what we will be endeavouring to do to, to our customers. But that, in turn, relies on them to be able to pa- absorb it or pass it on themselves, which may or may not be the case. Um, if we can't pass it on and then we have to absorb it, it just makes uh, our industry of which we operate in just more and more difficult um, to continue in, you know, operating sustainably in the long term. If those costs continue to skyrocket, and as you said, you try and pass some on to the consumer, but consumer is demanding paying lower prices for that quality food, does that start to impact the business in other ways in terms of impacting the numbers of your workforce or impacting how much you can actually produce in any given year? Uh, uh, not really. It just means whether we continue or stop. That's really what it means. It's that serious. I mean, uh, we, we aren't in a position where we can go, oh, well, let's halve our volume um, because you know, we've built facilities like every other process of manufacturing to, to operate at a certain level. I mean, just to halve that volume or, or, or do other things is, is very, very difficult and, and generally not economical. So, I mean, Andrew, we are talking, and I'm speaking more generally now about the processing and manufacturing industries across Eastern Australia. We're talking about survival or the ability to continue to operate and survive or not. It is that serious. If this continues on in the, in the uh, any any more than the short term, it's it's just crazy. I mean, Australian we, we Australian processes and manufacturers um, we we accept and, and support you know wage increases and and the wage levels, which which effectively a a very makes us uncompetitive to the rest of the world. But we we also recognise the importance of a standard of living in Australia. And we want to support that, and we want to employ more people. But what we did have in, in, in conjunction with that was access to a reliable and competitive price uh, source of energy, and that has now absolutely evaporated away from, from most industries. And we're all collectively extremely concerned about where it's going to keep going. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. And that's it for this week's edition of the Weekend Break podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is AJ. I will be back with you bright and early at 7am on Saturday morning with a brand new episode of the show. Catch you soon.